You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Acts 12:24 says, But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose name, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Buenos dias. Uh, I just learned that a lot of people in Manassas and in this church speak Spanish. That is amazing. So... Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray uh, before we start, and um, I'm actually going to pray in Spanish, uh, so if you know Spanish, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> Señor, muchas gracias por esta mañana, gracias por permitirme estar aquí con mis hermanos de New City Fellowship en Manassas, y te pido que ahora tu Espíritu Santo me use para poder traer el mensaje de tu Evangelio y poder exponer tu palabra de una manera fiel, y que todos podamos ser eh, animados, equipados para seguir el trabajo que tú estás haciendo aquí. Lord, I pray that through the work of the Spirit, we would all be equipped to do the work that you have called us to do in this place. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, um, so that Pastor uh, Will knows, we are we are planting a church, and we are planting we are planting it in Virginia. So we're so far uh, we're we're there. We. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's going to be Manassas, but it's going to be Virginia. And uh, my, my church is sending us uh, to plant a Hispanic church. Uh, but and ultimately, what we want to see is a movement of churches planted uh, throughout the DMV and honestly throughout the, the United States of healthy, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches that uh, basically reach the first generation and maybe second generation of Hispanics. So our experience is that if you only speak Spanish, uh, your chances of actually hearing the gospel or a faithfully or, or be exposed to a faithful presentation of the Bible are, are very small. Uh, so most of the second or third generation Hispanics that actually speaks English, they can actually go to other churches to get the gospel. And there's plenty of churches like this one where they can go and hear the gospel. But we want to focus on the first generation, the people that have limited uh, options to, to hear the word of God. So that's why we're planting a Hispanic, Spanish-speaking church uh, with the purpose of, of doing that. So I want to talk to you this morning about uh, something that has already been said. God's means of reaching the nations has traditionally, historically been uh, uh, church planting. The most effective way to reach the nations is by planting churches. And I want to start by asking you, and maybe some of you have a background in Christianity, and 
maybe you can help me with this. What do you think of when you, when you, when you hear the word missionary or, or when you hear the word missions? What is it that you, that you think of? What, when, you, when you hear we're going to reach the nations, what is it that comes to your mind? What's the first image or what's the first action that comes to your mind when, when the topic is brought up? And, and I know there's vastly different images or experiences that, that will determine your answer. But if you're like me or if you grew up in the church, you might think of someone in a foreign land, maybe in a jungle or in a poor country, maybe riding a horse or a canoe or, or you know, having a, a, a hard time reaching a place. Maybe, maybe you have the experience or maybe you think of a summer trip to a country that's really hot and uh, with a bunch of teens and having to leave your, your country and your church for a while and being really um, uncomfortable for a long time. Maybe, maybe you think of a missions organization that builds uh, churches or does a hum- humanitarian work. Uh, for the, but for the most part, even people who are not Christian when they think of missionaries or when they, when they think of missions work, uh, what they usually think is temporary work, either short, midterm, or long-term, but still temporary work that will take you to a poor country. And that, that's, what, that, that's some of the images that we have. We, we tend to think of God's means to reaching the nations as just that kind of missionary work. But the reality is that if we go to the Bible and if we actually read the New Testament, we would, we would see a very uh, different kind of mission work that includes some of these things, but it's mostly, mostly planting churches, initiating churches. But the reality is that we struggle to see that as missionary work. And I would like to propose to you that missionary work or missions, God's means to reach the nations is most effective through church planting. And a lot of us struggle with that. I struggled with that. When I was, when I was in college, I went to a Bible college. It was a Christian college. And um, we, my wife and I, we both studied uh, music and Bible. So uh, as most, uh, I don't know if most, but I did this. I was in a rock band because that's what you had to do when I was in college. So uh, I remember that as as a college student, I was fed up with the church, and we were going to fix everything that the church wasn't doing right. We were going to evangelize the people that the church wasn't evangelizing, and the best way to do it was through rock, right? So we were like, we're going to do this because you guys are not doing it. We were not like members of any church. We were not committed to any church, and and so we truly thought that we were actually reaching the world by having rock concerts. And at the end, briefly talking to people about Jesus and asking them to raise their hand and come to the front, and you're probably familiar with that. And that's what I thought of when, uh, when, when people talk about reaching the nations. But uh, as I grow in my faith and I, as I continue to read the word, I start to see that what, what we just read, it's precisely the way God reaches the nations. So in Acts 12 and 24 to 13 to 1 to 3, the passage that Pastor Will just read, we see how this is not a, a strategy that comes out of a bunch of people thinking, how are we going to reach the world? The first thing that we notice is that these people were praying they were worshiping the Lord, and they were fasting. 
These were a, this, is a, this is the picture of a church that was actually being a church. They were, they were worshiping, they were praying, they were fasting, and, and, and they, were, they were together, they were raising leaders, they were, they were doing the things that churches do, right? But then somebody has an idea, and that somebody is not the core team, is not the leadership team, is not the pastor, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So there was somebody who had an idea on how to reach the nations, and that is God himself. The Holy Spirit came up with a work that he had called. He had a plan for Barnabas and, 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 and Saul. And he told the church, grab those guys and set them apart because I'm going to do, I am going to do something with them and I have called them to do that. Then they fasted and prayed again and they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And up until that point, we didn't really know much about church planting. I can imagine what that church was going through. We're going to send them off to, to what? I don't know. The work that the Spirit had for them. And that was the beginning of a movement of churches that were planted all throughout the world. We saw the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. But this is the first time that the Holy Spirit explicitly says, bring these people. I have a specific work for them to do. And church planting begins, and the church exploded throughout the known world in, the, in that day. So I want to propose to you again that when we think of missionary work, we need to think of churches. We need to stop thinking of individuals. Ultimately, Jesus is gathering a people for himself. He is interested, and he came to die for his bride. He is about churches. And I would like for us to begin to think as missionary work, as planting churches as well. It's not the only way. That's not what I'm proposing. There is, there is importance, and there, God has used the, the typical missionary work to reach my nation. For instance, I'm from Mexico, and I saw, and I was part of a movement of missionaries that went to my, my country and, and preached to people, and that is also effective. But what I'm proposing is that we need to also think of that as planting churches. So I want to say a few things. The first thing is that I believe that church planting is God's, God's means to reaching the nations because first it's biblical. Let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 41 to 47. So we already saw how the Spirit is the one that has the idea of sending Paul and Barnabas to the nations to begin this work. But there's a precedent to that. And, and we see it in Acts chapter 2. Peter just preached the famous uh, sermon after Pentecost. And this is what happened. Verse 41 says, So those who received his word, that's the word that, that Peter was preaching, were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, fellowship to the, uh, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were, who were being saved. We see a pattern that happens all throughout the, the, the New Testament. The pattern is the proclamation of the gospel happens. Somebody preaches the word to people, and people turn to Jesus. In this text that we just read, again, Peter just finished preaching a sermon after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the result of Peter's preaching was the immediate formation of a church. And I would like to define church as a community of those who are saved by God's grace and united by Christ, by God's spirit. Pastor Bill Kynes, who also pastors here in, in Annandale, Virginia, <clears throat> has a book uh, from the denomination I'm from, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And he, he, he talks about, he comments on this passage that we just read. And he says that on the day of, of Pentecost, Peter preached to the crowds in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people responded in repentance and faith and were baptized that day. And he says they did not go home to become followers of, of Jesus privately and independently. But what did they do? They, dis, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And God added the people that were being saved. Saving Faith entails a new community. So everywhere we go, every place where the gospel is preached, the proclamation of the gospel always results in churches being formed. That's why I say again, church planting is God's means to reach in the world because every time the gospel is proclaimed, a church is born. People go to church. People gather as a church. If there is a place where nobody has ever preached the gospel, then a church is being formed. If there is a place where other churches preach, are preaching the gospel, maybe those people will go to those churches. But we see this pattern of preaching the gospel, churches are formed. And it's important to note that these were not just any kind of group. There are some elements here that explicitly show us that they are talking about a church. For instance, in this passage, we see that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. There was a specific teaching that they devoted themselves to. It wasn't just any teaching. It was the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the, of the apostles. There was leadership. There was discipleship. There was community. There was the observing of the sacraments. They were being baptized, and they were eating Together, communion. They were having communion together. There was distribution of possessions. There was also mercy ministries. There was hosting. There, there was, there was uh, people visiting each other's houses. This is a church. This is not just a group of people that we all love Jesus and meet once a week. No. This is the definition of a church. People were gathering as a church. And specifically, the fact that they were baptized is even more of a strong argument that these were actually churches. 
Because baptism is not only a believer's public profession of faith, but it is also an acceptance and an affirmation of the believer into the community of the church. And we see this pattern over and over again in the book of Acts. People hear the gospel. People respond to the gospel by professing their faith. And churches are formed. People are baptized. They share communion. And this is important for us because this is what we are called to do. And again, I want to tell you, church planting is God's means of reaching the nation. And this is something that we are called to do. And we just read this during worship. We just read the, 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 the Great Commission. We are called to proclaim, to proclaim the gospel. We are called to make disciples. We are called to baptize people. Every time, every, every time we're pushed outside, we're pushed outside to continue the growth of this church, to continue the expansion of this kingdom. We are never in the Bible just called to go do good works without anything else. No, all the good works are always related, a part of, attached to a church. And this is explicit in the Great Commission. We are not just called to preach the gospel and see what happens. No, we are called to make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. This is important because we cannot divorce we cannot divorce the proclamation of the gospel, the sharing of your faith with church. And that is something that happened to me when I was young, too. I thought that I could just go out and preach the gospel and have people make a, pray a prayer, and that was it. That was the end of the work, but it's not. The end of the work is not just for us to proclaim the gospel and to people, or for people to assent to a confession. No, it is necessary. It is imperative for these people to be a part of a body, a community, a, the bride of Christ, the church. And this is what was happening as well. We're going to be in Acts for a little bit. And uh, if we look at, for instance, Acts verse chapter 11, something happens that is also similar to what happened in chapter 12. And this is the people, well, let's go ahead and read it before I, the Bible explain, explains it better than me. So uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Did you, did you catch where they were or where they went to preach the word? They went to Antioch. That was the place where Paul and, Barnab Paul and Barnabas were sent out of. But before that, other people came and preached the gospel to Hellenists, not Jews, in Antioch, and a church was formed. And this is the church that sent Paul and Barnabas. If we continue to read, we will see the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the what? With the church. And taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So do you see the development? Peter, well, the Spirit falls on, on the apostles. Peter gets up, preaches the gospel. People turn to Jesus. A church is formed where? In Jerusalem. Because that's where the proclamation of the gospel happened. Then they, these people in Jerusalem are being persecuted. So they flee. And they go all over, the, all over the world. And guess what happens? Some of them go to Antioch. And they start preaching the gospel. And what happens? Another church is formed. And boom. People from, from, from Jerusalem come and, and, and say, hey, something is happening over there. Let's go see what happened. And they send Barnabas. And then Barnabas goes and says, wow, people are becoming Christians. And they're not even Jews. So he goes and gets Paul. And he's like, Paul, you need to come. Let's go. And they form a church. They spend a year there. They're discipling people. And guess what happens? The church says through the Spirit, let's go send these guys because this needs to continue happening. And they pray for them. And they send them. And guess what? Now we have churches in Philippines. In Colossa, in Rome, in Ephesus, and we have churches all over the place and in Manassas, Virginia today. Because church planting is God's means of reaching the nations. Because every time a Christian opens his mouth and shares the gospel, a church needs to be born. The preaching of the gospel produces believers, and believers produce churches. And this is just the pattern that we see over and over in the New Testament. Somebody that we, if you're in the church planting world, we all uh, almost worship him, is Tim Keller. He has a really great book called Center Church, and if you're a church planter, you, you should know this book. But there's, there's something that he says that it's uh, really good. Uh, he says, in Acts, planting churches is not a traumatic or unnatural event. It is woven into the warp and woof of ministry. And so it happens steadily and naturally. Paul never evangelizes on disciples without planting a church. For decades, expositors have looked, at, uh, have looked to Acts to make lists of the, of the basic elements of ministry. Bible teaching, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, and worship. But I have always found it odd that there in Acts, along with everything else the church is doing, is church planting. Yet, this element of ministry is consistently ignored. I believe there is a dubious, tacit cessationism at work. Almost unconsciously, readers of the book of Acts have said, yes, but that was for them. We don't do that now. I believe this conclusion misses a key aspect of a healthy church, namely that church planting must be natural and customary, not traumatic and episodic. And we agree with what he's saying because this is exactly what we see. We need churches to plant more churches. 
So I want to spend a little more time uh, on why is it that we need to continue to plant more churches. We already said it, it is biblical. We see it in the book of Acts. But the second thing I want to say is because it strengthens the gospel presence in that place. And on this part, I'm, I'm basically going to rip off uh, Tim Keller. I'm letting you know. I'm not going to plagiarize him. But he makes some really good points about why is it that we need to continue to plant churches. A lot of people ask the question, well, there's enough churches already. No, there is not enough churches already. We need to continue to plant churches. So the first thing he says is that new churches, or we need to plant more churches because new churches are better at evangelism. Because church plants are in urgent need of new people. So they're very creative. They're very emphatic on their evangelism efforts. And they're also always trying to find ways to get people in the, into the door. Therefore, new church plants reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups first or best. Statistically, new church plants are more aware of the current needs of a specific context, and therefore the new residents and new generations are more likely to attend a church plant. And the same happens with new people groups. In an area that sees a rise of a specific ethnicity, the best option is to plant a new church that will identify with that demographic. That's statistically. This guy is an expert on church planting, and he's saying all those things. And that's exactly what we are trying to do right now with my family. If you are familiar with the Hispanic community, let me talk to you a little bit about that. There is an element of fear that is prevalent in the Hispanic community for many reasons. It is, a lot of times, very uncomfortable, not for everybody or not for all of them, but for the majority or for a good portion of them, to attend churches that don't look like them. I would even argue that's the case for almost all minorities. So it is hard, as much as we would like it to be different, it is hard for a minority to come to a, to, to a church that doesn't necessarily look like them. I'm not excusing that. I'm not saying that's how it's supposed to be. I'm just stating something that is true. So, what do we do? Do we just continue to expect them to come? We should probably, yes, continue to expect them to come. But the best way to reach any people group is to find a way to plant a church within that community that speaks their language, understands their culture, and identifies with them. According to Tim Keller, almost 80% of the growth of well-established churches churches that have been there for 10 or more years, come from believers transferring from other congregations. The opposite is for church plants. Almost 80% of growth of new church plants come from unchurched or non-believers who are becoming Christians. So in general, when a church plant is planted, that area sees a significant increase in evangelism efforts and gospel presence. That's why we need to continue to plant churches, because they are better at evangelism. Another reason why new churches are necessary is because new churches also bring renewal to the existing body. Some people think that older churches are the best ones in uh, exploring new ways to, to do church or to um, reach people. But the reality is that new churches, new church plants bring new ideas to the whole body, to the whole entire uh, uh, church body in that area. 
So let me give you an example. My wife and I, we both studied music, and we went, we were sent to Mexico in 2014 to plant a church in Mexico City. So Mexico City, if you're familiar with Mexico City, it's a, it's, it's a mega city, literally. It's over 20 million people in one area. It's people on top of people. It's just insane. And there's so many different areas in Mexico City that you can attack or you can go to or you can try to evangelize. And, and we decided to move to one specific little tiny neighborhood for one reason, because we knew that was the only place where we could connect with people. My wife and I are both musicians by trade, so we decided to choose the place for musicians in Mexico City, and the name of that place is Coyoacan. If you're familiar with Mexico, that's where Frida Kahlo, uh, the, the museum for Frida Kahlo is, and Diego Rivera, the, the painters. And so in Mexico City, there's four music schools that are like professional music schools or conservatories, and three of them are in Coyoacan. So we knew that we needed to be there because we were some, we, we wanted to reach people that looked like us, that spoke the language that we spoke, and we, were, we wanted to be effective in reaching them. And in fact, God provided and opened the door for us to literally, and I'm not exaggerating, live right across the street from the entrance of, the muse, of one of the largest music schools in the entire country. We put up posters and people just showed up. And most of our congregation were musicians. Most church planters uh, know this, that one of the biggest struggles is to find musicians for a church plant. Well, we actually had a band before we even had a church because we just, we, we needed to exploit every opportunity we had. So we wanted to do whatever we could to plant a church that was effective, that reached the, the people around us. And we did it by seeing what we had to offer and giving it to the people, and it worked. Because... We were desperate for people because this is what we wanted to do. Because new churches bring renewal to existing bodies. So we started seeing that other churches around us started uh, trying to imitate some of the things we did. Or, or we were providing some help for other churches that were around us as well. Everything we did challenged the churches also around us. And new churches are one of the best ways to be creative in churches or to bring creativity in churches. Another great reason why new churches are necessary is because new churches confront the my kingdom mentality. And the my kingdom mentality is that mentality that says it's all about my church, it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's all about my brand and church planting allows you to stop thinking that way. Church planting motivates pastors to think of empowering others rather than just finding people that will help their own agenda. Church planting com confronts the consumer mentality of the members of a church by, by allowing them to think of how they can also produce and, 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 and help the church. Church plants have huge needs, and they are constantly making their people that attend those churches uncomfortable so that they can serve the church. So it, it, it's countercultural to the my kingdom or consumer mentality on both the pastor and the congregation. And again, in the Hispanic community, that is something that is very prevalent. My wife and I both grew up in Hispanic churches, 
And there's something that is very common, and it's everything is about the pastor. And if you look at some of the promotions and some of the ads they put up, you will see even that the church is usually represented by the picture of the pastor and the wife because they are the main characters of the church. And our experience was that I will bless you and I will actually help you plant the church if your church is going to have my name and if you are going to be under my leadership and that's going to expand my kingdom. That's how it usually happens. In fact, church planting is not even a thing yet in Hispanic communities. We need to plant more churches so that we can fight or be countercultural to that mentality of my kingdom. And the best way to do it is by planting churches. We have a huge concentration of Hispanics in this area, in all Virginia. In the latest census, we're now over 62 million Hispanics in this world, in this, in this uh, country. Did you know that the United States, if it was a Hispanic country, and if we would erase every other ethnicity and just leave Hispanics in this country, the, the U.S. would be the second largest country in the world with Hispanics. The largest Hispanic country in the world is Mexico. It has 130 million people. The second largest is the U.S. It has 62. The third one is Spain. We have 51. The fourth one is Colombia, and the fifth one is Argentina. The U.S. has more Hispanics inside of it than almost all countries except for Mexico. So the reason why we want to plant more churches is because there is a whole group of people that need the gospel. And the best way to do it is not by inviting them to my church, but rather going to them and being with them. And this is my last reason, my, my last reason why planting churches is good. Because planting churches teaches us that it is better to give than to receive. It reminds us of that concept. There, is, there was a moment when churches sent missionaries, and they usually sent a couple, and they would send them money, and everything was fine. In fact, uh, Justo Gonzalez, who is a historian, he's, he's a Cuban-American theologian, he actually says that American churches were very effective in sending missionaries and supporting them in foreign countries. They were excellent at it. But then something happened in the 80s and in the 90s you started seeing an overflow of new people groups coming into this country. And what happened was that for some reason, we were not being as effective to reach them as we were outside or somewhere else in the world. Because the concept of giving or the concept of giving is better than receiving was very comfortable. I would write you a check. I would send you, I would pay for your tickets, and it was good. But the moment those people came, things began to change. Now they were next to us. Now they were living around us. Now it wasn't just enough to send a check. 
Now it wasn't comfortable because now they were coming to our churches with needs that we were not used to. Because now these people required a different kind of care. And that is what church, plant, church planting reminds us of. That giving is not just money. Giving is better than receiving in every aspect of life. I just heard Pastor Will say they're starting something in Georgetown. And I've been there. I know that Georgetown is mostly Hispanic. And I know that some of those kids are not going to be easy kids. Because their environment is not, is not easy. And because their life is not easy. So it's not going to be enough for you to say how much I need to, do, to, how, how much I need to give. It's not going to be enough. This is an opportunity for us to be reminded that it is better to give than to receive in a new level. Church planting teaches us that sacrificial giving is the way to do ministry. And now we need to start giving in a different way. There's another theologian, Samuel Escobar, and he says, migration is a major feature of the 21st century. A 2005 United Nations report claims that there are, this is in 2005, there are nearly 191 million international migrants worldwide. Migration is not an American problem. It's an entire world problem. The International Organization for Migration estimates the number of foreign migrants at, at around 200 million. Another 100 million are on the move within their own borders. Migration is enormously complex. Its causes and its effects range from simple economic betterment to the horrors of war, ethnic conflict, and genocide. Whatever the causes, it is an undeniable opportunity for evangelization that the church dare not ignore. The same thing is happening in Europe. Anyone else likes uh, football here? <laughs> Have you looked at the French soccer team? They're mostly African. Have you looked at the American soccer team? It's a mix. There's, the, the world is changing. This is not a problem that we have only in America. We have that same problem in Mexico. We have that same problem everywhere. And we are being called to understand that we need to reach these people. And the best way to do it is by planting churches. People are now coming to us. People are now being our neighbors. And we have to find ways to meet their needs and preach the gospel to them. Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus is the biggest example and the biggest argument we have for church planting as God's means to reaching the nation. He is the person that was on his throne running the whole thing, and he decided to come down to our neighborhood and form a church and die for us and suffer with us. Jesus came and he gave his life 
for us. He left his throne. He left all his, his good stuff. And he came down to be with sinners and die with sinners as a sinner. Even though he was not a sinner. Jesus didn't just come to provide for us. Jesus didn't just send us a few gifts. No, he came and he died for us. He came and he, he walked with us. He met our needs. He talked to us. He touched us. He healed us. He spent time with us. He slept with us. He ate with us. This is the gospel. This is grace. Peruvian theologian Pedro Arana says, the message of the gospel is a historical action of the God of grace who takes the initiative and comes to seek out sinful human beings to offer us his salvation. And that salvation is to be found not only in a religion, nor in a church, nor in a philosophical system, but in Jesus of Nazareth. God's salvation always was, is, and shall be through Christ. Jesus came himself and gave his life for us. And that's what we do, in a way, through church planting. We're giving from us. We give ourselves to others. I know you guys are supporting uh, uh, Samuel Orrico in, in Mexico, in Jalapa, Veracruz. And I can tell you, I know Samuel. I've seen Samuel. I've been with Samuel. You are probably supporting one of the best church plants that I know of in Mexico, in the entire country. And there are people right now, they're probably an hour behind us. They're probably about to start. There's people in Jalapa, Veracruz, one of the states that, did you know that Samuel, what they, people got into his house and basically raided his home and he had to leave because he was threatened by, by cartel members. For, uh, they, they threatened his family. And in the midst of those situations, he's con he continues to preach the gospel right now. And you guys are supporting them. And there's another pastor um, thousands of miles away right now preaching the gospel to people like you that look different that, like you. And you probably will never know, maybe in heaven. But they, they are preaching the gospel to other people right now. And you are a part of that because you are investing in church planting. And this is great. This is what we should continue to do. This is exactly what Jesus did. He gave himself for others. He, he gave his life for others. He did not care about his own comforts or about his life. He actually was killed because of us or be for us. And church planting is one of the most beautiful images of the gospel as well. Because it pushes us out. So I want to encourage, us all, encourage all of us. To keep looking for ways to get invested in communities, to be invested in others, to be invested in church planting. As Christians, we should replicate with the gospel. As Christians, we should replicate what God did for us. We should give ourselves. We should give our lives. We should lay down our comforts to go and help others even if they don't deserve it, even if we don't agree with them, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He came down for us, and we rejected him. And he loved us. 
He died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be condemned to etern- with an eternity or for eternity without him. And that's what we're supposed to do. And if you're not a Christian and you've, you're visiting today, I would like to just explain something to you. We are a people that preaches one message, and that message is the gospel. We are a church that preaches one message, and is that everybody is a sinner. We are all sinners. We all struggle with different sinners, with different sins. But that there is a God who is the creator of everything, the only true God who saw us, saw you in your mess, in your difficulty, and saw your inability to save yourself, and he decided to come down and give his life for you and for me. And he came, and he was nailed on a cross, and he suffered, he was punished, and he was beaten for our sake, so that through him, we would have eternal life, so that through him, our sins would be forgiven, so that through him, we would now be called sons and daughters of, of, of God. He came to reconcile us through the cross, through his blood. And now, if you repent and if you believe in him, he will embrace you and he will take you. And he will give you a new life, an eternal life, an abundant life for free. And that is called grace. And that is available to everyone here. And that same message is the message that we want to take everywhere we go. That is the message that produces churches. That is the message that helps people. That is the message that all the Hispanics around us need. That is the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blessing that we have to... to be people who are called to take this message to all the nations. It is a privilege. It is an honor to be people who who can share this great news with others. And Lord, I pray that you will help us continue to get invested through our efforts in church planting so that other people can also hear this great message of, of, of hope and of salvation. Lord, I want to pray for this church. I want to pl- pray for New City Fellowship. Uh, first, I want to thank you for everything they're already doing. And thank you for the, the fact that they were planted here in Manassas. And thank you for all the people that they've reached and all the people that will, they will reach. And, and thank you for every effort that they're doing. I pray for Pastor Will and, and every elder and every leader in this church. I pray that you will continue to speak to them and that your spirit will continue to, to bring forth people that will go out and do the work that you have, uh, that you have for them so that others can also hear the good good news of the gospel. And I pray for the church, for every member here, everyone who attends here. I pray that you would all, you would move us all to be uncomfortable and to give beyond just giving money, that we would give ourselves for the sake of others in the exact same way that you gave yourself for others so that also they will be our brothers and sisters and spend eternity with us. And Lord, I thank you for the beautiful picture that, that, that we see in Revelation 7. That one day, 
We will be in a place where there will be no more weeping, no more sorrows, no more pandemics, no more wars, and we will all be there from every tribe and every tongue, and we will see the fruit of what you have done through us. What a beautiful picture, God. And I pray that we would long for that in the name of Christ. Amen.